Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Every heart 
always be on the stars those dazzling heights too vast to climb i got so high to fall so far but i found heaven as love swept low my heart beating my soul breathing i found my life when i laid it down upward falling spirit soaring i touched the sky when my knees hit the ground gift of freedom gold can buy I bought the world and sold my heart you traded heaven to have me again my heart beating my soul breathing I found my life when I laid it down upward falling touch the sky when my knees hit the ground
Father, Lord, we again just give you praise and thanks for an opportunity to worship you this morning, Lord. And on this day, Lord, this special day that just speaks about love, Lord, we know that you are the God of love. Loved us so much that you sent your Son for each and every one of us, Lord. So we just pray that that would be a reminder of how much we are valued by you, Lord. And as we seek your word this morning, into your presence with grateful hearts, with hearts of just adoration and love for you. Again, let this be the time to honor you, Lord, and give you praise. In your precious name, we pray these things. Amen. Hello, and welcome to South Valley Community Church. We're so glad that you're here, and we pray that this service is a blessing to you as you continue to pursue Jesus today. If this is your first time here with us, we want to encourage you to fill out our online connect card that gives us a chance as a staff to be able to reach out to you, get to know you a little bit, and answer any questions that you might have for us. We've got some exciting news for you. This upcoming Sunday, February the 21st, we are regathering in person at SVCC at either 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Those are our two service times that we will have available. And children's ministry will be available during the 9 a.m. service only, and that's going to be available from nursery through the sixth grade. And if you're going to be participating in the in-person service, we just want to remind you that COVID protocols are going to be in place so that we can maintain our part to be healthy and be a support to the community. So please make sure that we're practicing safe distancing and healthy hand hygiene and making sure that we are wearing our masks. And if you are feeling under the weather, we will have these services available online, live streaming during both services. So you can enjoy them in the comfort of your own home and you can even engage with the online hosts that will be available both on the Facebook page and the YouTube channel so that you can have someone to connect with and, and celebrate the service with. And we would be so happy to be able to do that. Whether you're in person or online, we are super excited to engage with you. Now, one other reminder that we wanted to offer for you today is to remember to pray for our pastoral search committee as they re-engage in the process of seeking out a senior pastor to lead SVCC. As they prepare for these potential interviews of potential candidates, we pray that the Lord gives them wisdom and discernment. And we know it's been an arduous process for them, but we know that God is so good, you guys. And what he has ready for SVCC is going to be amazing. And we are gonna to continue to do the great and tremendous work that he's already doing today. And we, again, just invite you to pray over our committee and over our potential senior lead pastor. You guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm gonna to pass it on over to Pastor Frank. He's got some things to share with you. Have an amazing day and we'll see you soon. Bye now. Hey, good morning, South Valley. Hope that you're all doing well. Well, 2021 is well underway. It's hard to believe, but this marks uh, for Teresa and I, our 20th year, two decades now, of being part of what God is doing here at South Valley, and it's been a great adventure. One of the things that has just blessed me over the years is being one of the shepherds here is the amazing generosity that comes from all of you. Over the years, we have increased our missions giving and, and, and our resources. And I know even though we have gone through a, now a couple of years without a senior pastor, and of course this whole pandemic, uh, it just amazes me how we continue to go forward 
in terms of our outreach. You know, this past year we had a Thanksgiving offering a goal of $30,000. And because of your generosity, we actually exceeded that goal by $6,000 and more. And to date, even through the absence of a senior pastor and uh, through this pandemic, we've also managed to continue to give faithfully to missions both locally and around the globe. So I commend you for that. There was a group of people that Paul uh, wanted to help in Jerusalem. They were impoverished. And so Paul wanted to help them financially. And so he began to go throughout Asia Minor and Europe through the churches that he had started and began to take an offering for them. And the people in Macedonia, in that region, and in Acacia, they knew hardship. But here's what the Apostle Paul writes about them. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. These people in this region, even though they were experiencing dire hardships financially, they begged Paul, let us be a part of the offering you're taking back to help the saints in Jerusalem. But here is the key to this whole attitude of liberality in their giving. It says this about them, for they first gave themselves to the Lord. This is in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. They gave themselves to the Lord. What I want you to see in, in that just short passage is how the people in Macedonia and Acacia, even though they were going through hardship, that didn't define who they were. And I would say to you, South Valley family, I know it's been a difficult couple of years, but let's don't let it define us. Let us continue to be defined as a generous giving people as you have been. I hope you're encouraged this morning. If you're going to give, you can give through the mail. You can mail your gift in. It's all part of your worship. You can bring it in and put it into a safety box that's mounted in the front door of the office, or you can give online. I trust that you're encouraged. Continue to be faithful in your giving, and I know our Lord will bless you for that. Take care. God bless. Hope to see you soon. Well, good morning, South Valley Community Church. I don't know if you're inside in person or whether or not you're watching all this online because I recorded this here on Sunday, February the 7th. And then we were meeting as a staff on Wednesday of this week to think through this weekend and onwards with regards to gathering in person or, or, or not in person. So I don't know what we will have decided by Wednesday. So wherever you are, I hope you're safe and well. And so I get to preach this week and why I'm recording it if we are indoors is because I'm actually preaching also in a church up in the Bay Area. And so uh, next week, Tim Brown, the Executive Minister of Growing Healthy Churches, gets to join us and he's going to join us for several Sundays all the way through until the end of May and I'll do some preaching Tim will do half of the preaching and then Frank and Seth will also do some along with myself. So excited that Tim gets to work with South Valley 
and the staff and you guys get to hear him preach and meet him. And we keep moving forwards and keep praying for that senior pastor search. Keep praying for the team and keep praying for whoever is the right next senior pastor that God just lays it on their heart and that we know and they know and that God opens a door to make that to make that happen. So this Sunday I'm going to preach again from Mark's Gospel this time chapter 3 and it's the verses 20 through to the end of the chapter. Mark's Gospel chapter 3 verses 20 to 35. And my preach this morning is entitled Bad Boy Jesus. Okay, hang with me. Hang with me. I come from a particular tribe. My people would call it my clan. And we have two ways of identifying who's in our tribe or who's in our, or who's in our clan. Okay, Our surname and also Scottish men are known for wearing something that others don't. Kilts. Okay, And each kilt has a particular pattern. And that particular pattern is known as a tartan. And each clan has their own tartan. So my clan and my tartan is from my mother's side, the Davidson clan. And the Davidson tartan started way back in 1350. And it was at the Battle of Inverhaven when we beat up the Camerons and we sent them running back to Dramochter before we later joined with the Macphersons to slaughter them. We were nice people dressed with skirts on, okay? So you should never laugh at a man wearing a skirt, okay? We slaughter people with our skirts. We're a nation of warriors dressed in kilts and neither the Romans nor the English could control us, okay? Think Braveheart, okay? Only real men wear kilts. So what's your tribe? What's your clan? I'm always coming across people who tell me, who live in America, that they are Scotch, <laughs> which is actually what you drink, okay? Uh, that they're from Scotland, okay? And they can trace their lineage to an ancient clan. They've never been to Scotland, so I don't really know that they are Scottish, just so you know, guys, okay? And then I think Americans, perhaps more than any other nationalities, love to trace your ancestry and know your tribe. My friends in in East Africa, in Kenya, they are tribal people. Uh, they have anything between three to five names, and each name is for a different reason. And in their tribes, names will always be names passed down to ensure that they never forget their tribe, or they never forget their region, or their village, or their father's family. And I think there's like 39 or 49 tribes in Kenya. Tribes, clan, what's your identity? And this is the topic around which Mark's Gospel chapter 3 is written and about which Jesus is classed as a bad boy. What's your tribe? Let me try and explain. If you have your Bible, Mark's Gospel chapter 3 verse 21, it says... When his family, so, so verse 20, now Jesus went home 
and a crowd gathered so that they were not able to eat. When his family heard this, they went out to restrain him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Referring to Jesus. And the actual phrase there is not really the word family. It's the larger term, those of him, or better translated, those who belonged to him. And this is more than what we would call family, okay? In fact, if you look at verse 31, at the end of chapter 3, you'll notice that it's then that his mother and his brothers arrive at what we would more see as his immediate family. So, in first century Palestine, Jesus' world, the tribe that you belong to, anthropologists would call them the in-group. And you would be very well aware of who belonged in your in-group. And every family, every community would have their in-group and their out-group. And you knew who was in and who was out. And in your tribal group, your in-group, you maintained the boundaries. You are going to know who's of the out-group and who's of the in-group. And uh, you're going to keep the out-people outsiders. They could come into your village, uh, but they would remain outsiders. And, and maybe, maybe some of you know that feeling. You know, uh, like I, I've been living in America for 20 years, but I still feel an outsider. Uh, you never marry someone on the outside. You only marry someone in your tribe and you maintain the boundaries. You, your vocation, your employment is within the in-group. And from the centre, it moves out to your cousins and second cousins and third cousins, uh, people who share your name. And at the very centre of the in-group is your immediate family. So, in the scriptures, when you hear a reference to Jesus' family... This is the larger tribe group that the Bible is referring to. Uh, this is the mark of a tribal society. This was the in-group. And Jesus would know who were the in-group. And you would know your out-group. This is why you never refer to me as English. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm Scottish, okay? I, 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 I mean, you can nearly call me Irish. But you never call me English, okay? Of course, I'm also British, but that's a whole confusing thing from the British Isles, okay? It's like being told you're from America, and when you're really from Canada, okay? Those are, those are fighting words, okay? Fascinating anthropology, okay? Today, in, in so much of our world, everything is defined within this larger group. So let me give you an example. If you were to meet Syed Ali Abunai, you might ask him, where are you from? And Sidi Ali Abunai would reply, well, I'm from Ali Abunai. And you would say, no, that's your last name, that's your surname, where are you from? And he would say, no, I'm from the village of Ali Abunai. Ali Abunai in southern Egypt. And you'll say, okay, okay, so who lives there? And he'll say, well, the Ali Abunais. And you'll say, okay, so you're related to everybody? And he'll say, yeah, probably. And you'll say, well how, well, how many? And he'll say, well, like, a couple of thousand. This is tribes, as Jesus knew in his day and in his culture. Now, 
as you live within the in-group, you want to preserve honour. Honour for your group, your tribe. You want to preserve honour and you want to avoid shame. Those are the two core things you spend your life investing in. Honour and avoiding shame. This means in the tribal community that everyone is aware of you, your work, your marriage, your finances, your behaviour, your, your contributions to the village life. Everybody knows what it's like to live inside the circle. Everybody is aware of the choices that you make. Everybody is connected to everybody as together you preserve the honour of your name, your tribe, your family. This was so important that in these cultures they wrote books for young people to read on how to spot honour and how to stay inside of your circle. In Greek they were called engominiums and the most readable was written by a guy called Marcus Fabius Quintilamius. And he was the same age as Jesus and in the first century he was a professional teacher of rhetoric. Uh, how to be a compelling speaker, a persuader. And he taught that if you want to be compelling verbally, you have to be compelling personally. In other words, to be a good speaker, you have to be a good person. And he wrote about how you can grow up inside your family circle and be a person of praise and honour. What is your origin? Who are your parents? This is why, and you'll notice in scripture, genealogies are important in the Bible. Uh, this is why, you know, what's your, what's your education? Who were your teachers? This is why the Apostle Paul named his great teacher in Jerusalem. What are their deeds? What do you do? An honour culture... How you preserve the circle, stay in the in-group, because that is the most important thing for anyone in first century. Uh, we live in America, and America is not an honour culture. We live in what some would refer to as a traditions culture, or even not so good, we live in an individualistic culture, you know. Uh, the self-made man is often viewed as a hero. Uh, interesting, anthropologists are now beginning to say that we in America are becoming a shame or a guilt culture. Okay, enough sociology, okay? In walks Jesus, and some scholars would suggest that the critics of Jesus called him a bad son. He was someone who did not understand what it meant to live inside the circle. He was someone who did not read Quintilimius's books. And here's the evidence. He leaves the village. He doesn't stay in the village and take care of his mother and his father. He doesn't carry on his father's profession as the firstborn son should do. He's not in an arranged marriage to somebody within the tribe. He's not married. 
He's not providing children for his parents to carry on the tribe's name and the tribe's legacy. And worse than all of these, Mark's Gospel chapter 2 verse 15, he's sitting and eating with friends who are tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is hanging out, not with the in crowd, but with the outsiders. Don't you realise, Jesus, that you're meant to cultivate friendships inside the group, not outside the, the group. And so there are uncles and great uncles who live in the circle of his tribe and they're watching Jesus and they say to Mary and to Joseph, You've got to do something about your son. Your son is bringing shame on our name and on our tribe. Your son is out of line. And if our sons watch him and do what he's doing, they will get out of line too. And all of a sudden, our tribe, our family will be shamed. So somebody has to act. And so they do. Uh, look at verse 21. Okay? This is his family. This is his extended family, okay? And when they hear what Jesus is doing... Sorry, I've got to get my iPad working again here. When, when they notice what Jesus was doing, they go out to seize him. Chapter 3, verse 21. He's out of his mind. He's nuts. He doesn't know what he's, that he's meant to be a good son. We need to pull him in to bring him back. And, and if you, Mary and Joseph, aren't willing to act, to bring your son into behaviour, we will. And this is Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. It's an astounding chapter. And it gets even more astounding. The scribes and the main religious guys from Jerusalem also come to pull him in. And either they'd heard of this radical rabbi with a growing following... Or one of Jesus' extended family members had connections even with the temple in Jerusalem. And they come, look at verse 22, they come, the experts in the law, and they say he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. We don't really know what Beelzebub means. It doesn't appear in any Jewish writings any place. It seems that it was possibly a slang word. And we don't really know what the slang word could be, but there is one word, Baalzebul, which is Lord of the Cow Dung. And so some people think that's the source uh, of this word, Beelzebub. But in this culture, if a son steps out of line, and is not willing to cross back into the circle you have, there's only one alternative. If he's not willing to come back, you have to shame him. And shame him so severely that he returns home begging for forgiveness or so that he clearly leaves and stays away. And so here's the shame. In chapter 3, the scribes say, we know who Jesus belongs to. That's tribal language, okay? That's clan language. It is to Satan. They shame Jesus by saying 
This man doesn't belong to his family. He doesn't belong to his tribe. He doesn't belong to even Judaism, the largest tribe out there. He doesn't belong to God's people. He doesn't belong to God. He belongs to God's arch enemy, Satan. So cast him out to the Gentiles. We want nothing to do with him. In other words, they're saying that Jesus is demon possessed. He belongs to Satan, the prince of demons. Verse 30. So Jesus mounts his defense and here's what he says. And we're going to explain what he says before we get to the most two difficult verses in Mark's gospel, okay? Jesus, chapter 1 of Mark's gospel and chapter 3 of Mark's gospel, Jesus has been driving out demons, casting them out. And so Jesus says, you can't be serious. I'm working for Satan. I've been killing Satan. I've been driving out demons. I've been ruining Satan's project. Satan isn't going to destroy himself. If I am out there defeating Satan, how can I be working for Satan? A house divided among itself, tribal language, will fail. And so verse 27, Jesus declares what he is actually doing. He has, enter, he has entered Satan's house and he's binding up Satan and destroying the work of Satan. Huh. Now just pause. Don't let that little verse slip away from you. Because this here changes how we understand reality and what is happening around us. This is the ground that we live on. Uh, the injustice in our world is the work of Satan. And Christ followers go to battle against such. The systems and the structures that dominate power. And if they oppress people, they are Satan's project and Christians battle them. This is why Christians stand with the oppressed. We stand to serve the poor. We defend the voiceless. We fight for health care for all. We speak out about racial injustice and racial prejudice. We, we seek fair immigration laws. We vouch for debt cancellation for the poorest nations. It, it's why at a school bench you stand against the bully. It's why in a workplace you stand for equal rights and equal pay and fair working conditions. It's why with your vote, you vote to help those who are being downtrodden and oppressed. It's right here in Mark's Gospel chapter 3. If you want to read more about this here, probably the Christian that wrote the most on this in the modern era was a guy by the name of Walter Wink. Quite a name, Walter Wink. Uh, he died back in 2012, unfortunately. Uh, for, for decades, he taught in Aubrey Theological Seminary in New York his book, Naming the Powers. And he wrote about three or four books in that series, well worth reading. There is a war going on. This is what Jesus is teaching in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. There is a war going on because the shadow of the future is being cast over the present. And, and in this shadow that's cast over the present, 
there's a future where righteousness and justice reign, where love wins, where there's no class system, there's no racial divisions, there's no them and us, there's no in and out. And today, that shadow of the future is brought by you and me as followers of Christ rising up and acting out the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of darkness. We are agents of repair. We are agents of change. We are restorers of Eden. We are, as Jesus began, plunderers of the house of the strong man. I don't know what you think, churches. It ain't songs on a Sunday and Bible study on a Wednesday. The church is filled with people who are bringing the reality of a future kingdom to the present. And Jesus is teaching that the present is dark and controlled by Satan. But Jesus is now risen and we as his followers bring his future kingdom, the, the shadow of bright, into the darkness. And we fight in the spiritual realms. I don't know if you understand that. I don't know if you even want to be a part of that. But that is what Jesus was about. Mark's Gospel chapter 3. Read it. In Jesus name. With his armour on. Within the power of the cross. And the indwelling of the spirit. We bring the future. Into the present. And that always challenges. The status quo. But the problem with the church is. We've allowed the status quo to dominate us. We've sold out to the values and the systems of this world. And Jesus is clearly teaching that this world's kingdom is not what he's about. He's about another kingdom. And then, okay, and then and now, we come to the two hardest verses in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Listen to them. I tell you the truth. People will be forgiven for all sins, even all the blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Notice... It starts by saying, all sins will be forgiven, period. Including all blasphemies, period. Whew. Jesus is responding to the dreadful accusation he has just heard, that he is of Satan. And he's about to speak powerfully into it. But he begins his powerful words with a very powerful sentence. I'm telling you the truth. People will be forgiven all sins and all blasphemies of whatever sort. This is a sentence of great hope. And then comes the words that we don't want to hear. Except, except those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And for nearly 2,000 years of biblical interpretations, 
Scholars have run their hands over verses 28 and 29 and asked the question, what can Jesus be meaning? I've personally known many Christians to live with immense anxiety, wondering if somehow they have committed a sin that is unforgivable and that this act somehow closes them out from God's grace and God's forgiveness. You know, like when I was a pastor full time, they would say, you know, Gilbert, I once did this or, or many years ago I did that. And, and they live with this nagging concern that maybe they've committed the unforgivable sin and it haunts them and it torments them. What does this verse mean? And we all move to the edge of our seers, or the edge of our chair, waiting to hear if what you did when you know ten years ago, or sixteen years ago, or twenty-five years ago, or fifty years ago, if it's the unforgivable sin. And here's what Bible scholars firmly agree on: this is not about a particular deed. Rather, this is about a disposition. A constancy in how you live and act. So therefore, if you, like me, maybe are anxious about some deed that you did and you yearn for God's forgiveness and you wonder, could God forgive me for that? That's not what Jesus is speaking about here. God can forgive you for that deed. Take a deep breath, okay? This is back to verse 28. All sins are forgiven. Soak in this morning the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for whatever deed you have lived in shame of with the guilt of. You can be forgiven. What this unforgivable sin speaks of is a condition of the heart that cannot tell the difference between Satan and God. It's a condition of the heart that never repents, never asks for forgiveness. This is a darkness that you let shroud around your life and, and you don't even recognize it, that you've placed your soul in a position that you don't want rescuing from. And, and Jesus, in chapter 3, he turns to the religious leaders of the day who were saying that what Jesus is doing is not a work of God, but the work of Satan. And Jesus says to the religious leaders, you are moving your hearts to a place you don't want them to go because you are placing your soul in serious jeopardy. And, and what Jesus has been doing, the healing of people, the casting out of evil spirits in people, was all done by the means of the power of the Holy Spirit resident within Jesus and to say that that is of Satan moves you to a place that could be disastrous because when you begin to see the work of God as the work of Satan there's no way back how could God ever reach you how could you recognize God's Spirit convicting you of sin and of righteousness. If, if you attribute the work of God to Satan, 
you'll never be convicted of your sin. And therefore, if you're never convicted of your sin, you'll never be forgiven of it. You'll remain unforgiven. So there's a question that maybe we need to quickly answer. How did the religious people get there? How could you or I end up in that state? And it's one word. Well, it's really hyphenated two words. Self-righteous. This is the sin. This is the state of self-righteous people. When you move to self-righteousness, you are incapable of seeking, of searching for forgiveness. Here's the tragedy. Churches have many self-righteous people in them. This is a shocking tragedy. But there are people in even this church and they are self-righteous. And when you move to a self-righteous position, you're not seeking God's forgiveness. And then Mark takes us back to his family, his immediate family now. And this is all still part of the same teaching. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and his brothers came. Standing outside, they sent word to him to summon him. So, notice that his father, his father is not mentioned. And his, it would have been his father who was most charged to bring him into line, into, you know, so, into being part of the in-group. And this supports the hypothesis that Joseph had died. And notice also the phrase, his brothers, verse 31. And this has caused embarrassment uh, to those in the church traditions that believe that Mary had no other children, uh, that she remained a perpetual virgin. There's a problem here with this text for them. Uh, however, you can imagine the aunts and the uncles standing around. Surely now, when they see his mother and his brothers come. Surely now Jesus will step back inside the circle. Would he really upset his mother? And Jesus starts a revolution. He takes the circle of the tribe as it has been for generations. And he redraws the line. So there's been the circle of tribe called the in-group. And then there's the circle of those who are called the out-group. And Jesus now draws a new circle and puts the word faith into it. Doing the will of God. Salvation. Being about the kingdom of God. Being about the poor and injustice. My family, he says, are those who do God's will, who hold faith in who God is and what God is about. This rat-tag bunch of people from last week's preach as messy Christians and many more. Jesus, Jesus is not despising his family. 
Rather, he's demonstrating that his mission and his ministry will not be defined within lines that leave so many people out. The church is a revolution of the human tribe, of the human family. Revelation chapter 5, you, Jesus, purchased people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. People, people, we of this church, we have the possibility of being a revolution. A revolution where people are not defined by tribe or by ethnicity or by descendants, but by something bigger, our shared faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're not defined by those who are in or we're not defined by those who are out, but everybody can be in. We so often define ourselves by our politics, by our football loyalty, by you know, what side of town we live on or, or what we eat or what we don't eat. But Jesus came and he changed the circle and he invited us into a circle, into a tribe, into a family that is defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you let Jesus Christ define you, all that other stuff is dissolved. This is why scripture says in Galatians chapter 3, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, Hispanic or Caucasian, white brown or black, east side of town or west side of town, raiders or 49ers, giants or dodgers, rock music or country. No, no, that's too far. Okay, sorry country people, you know, you just sing through your noses, okay? Come on! The revolution is that in the family of God, there is neither Catholic or Protestant. Pentecostal or Reformed, young or old, rich or poor, bald or with hair. This is the redefining of society that Jesus introduced. Shame on us and shame on the church that allows us to draw lines that exclude people, leave some people out, prevent them from not being fully a part of it. May we be a church that honors God and does the work of Jesus. Let's pray. What a high calling God. And we live in such a compartmentalized, individualized, divided society. Where people are left out because of what they look like, how they act, what colour they are, what language they speak, what side of town they come from, what car they drive. How divided we've become. And we've allowed that to enter the church. One is the work of Satan. And God's work is the opposite. It pulls down barriers erases the lines 
and invites all people to be in because of him. May this church and the people of this church fling wide open our hearts to welcome in whoever. May that define us this year and in the years to come for Christ's sake and the gospel's truth. Amen. May you have a great week. Look forward to Tim Brown speaking next Sunday and I'll see you in several weeks following. God bless.